when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord Jesus. Stately clump buck bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company, read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Kay Tempest. Who knows, is there anything the matter with my insides? Or have I something growing in me, getting that thing like that every week? When was it last? I whip Monday, yes, it's only about three weeks. I ought to go to the doctor. Only it would be like before I married him. When I had that white thing coming from me, and Flowey made me go to that dry old stick, Dr Collins, for women's diseases on Pembroke Road. Your vagina, he called it. I suppose that's how we got all the gilt mirrors and carpets, getting round those rich ones off Stephen's Green, running up to him for every little fiddle-faffle her vagina and a cutchin china. They've money, of course, so they're all right. I wouldn't marry him. Not if he was the last man in the world. Besides, there's something queer about their children. Always smelling around those filthy bitches all sides, asking me if what I did had an offensive odour. What did he want me to do but the one thing gold, maybe? What a question if I smathered it all over his wrinkly old face for him. With all my compliment, I suppose he'd know then. And could you pass it easily? Pass what? I thought he was talking about the Rock of Gibraltar, the way he put it. That's a very nice invention too, by the way. Only I like letting myself down after in the hole as far as I can squeeze and pull the chain then to flush it nice cool, pins and needles still. There's something in it, I suppose. I always used to know by Millie's when she was a child whether she had worms or not. Still, all the same, paying him for that. How much is that, doctor? One guinea, please. And asking me had I frequent omissions. Where do those old fellows get all the words they have? Emissions, with his short-sighted eyes on me cocked sideways. I wouldn't trust him too far to give me chloroform or God knows what else still. I liked him when he sat down to write the thing out, frowning so severe, his nose intelligent like that. You be damned, you lying strap. Oh, anything. No matter who except an idiot. He was clever enough to spot that, of course. That was all thinking of him and his mad, crazy letters. My precious one, everything connected with your glorious body, everything underlined that comes from it, is a thing of beauty and of joy forever. Something he got out of some nonsensical book that he had me always at myself four or five times a day sometimes, and I said I hadn't. Are you sure? Oh, yes, I said, I am quite sure, in a way that shut him up. I knew what was coming next. Only natural weakness it was. He excited me. I don't know how the first night ever we met when I was living in Rehoboth Terrace. We stood staring at one another for about 10 minutes. As if we met somewhere, I suppose on account of my being Jewess, looking after my mother. He used to amuse me, the things he said, with the half sluvering smile on him. And all the Doyles said he was going to stand for a Member of Parliament. Oh, wasn't I the born fool to believe all his blather about Home Rule and the Land League, sending me that long stroll of a song 
out with the Huguenots to sing in French to be more classy, oh beau pays de la Touraine, that I never even sang once, explaining and rigmaroling about religion and persecution. He won't let you enjoy anything naturally. Then might he as a great favour. The very first opportunity, he got a chance in Brighton Square, running into my bedroom, pretending the ink got on his hands, to wash it off with the Albion milk and sulphur soap I used to use, and a gelatine still round it. Oh, I laughed myself sick at him that day. I'd better not make an all-night sitting on this affair. They ought to make chambers a natural size, so that a woman could sit on it properly. He kneels down to do it. I suppose there isn't in all creation another man with the habits he has. Look at the way he's sleeping at the foot of the bed. How can he, without a hard bolster? It's well he doesn't kick, or he might knock out all my teeth, breathing, with his hand on his nose, like that Indian god he took me to show one wet Sunday in the museum in Kildare Street, all yellow in a pinafore, lying on his side, on his hand, with his ten toes sticking out, that he said was a bigger religion than the Jews and our lords both put together all over Asia, imitating him, as is always imitating everybody. I suppose he used to sleep at the foot of the bed too, with his big square feet up in his wife's mouth. Damn this stinking thing, anyway. Where's this? Those napkins are... Oh, yes, I know. I hope the old press doesn't creak. Ah, oh, I knew it. I knew it would. He's sleeping hard, had a good time somewhere. Still, she must have given him great value for his money. Of course he has to pay for it from her. Oh, this nuisance of a thing. I hope they'll have something better for us in the other world. Tying ourselves up, God help us, that's all right for tonight. Now the lumpy old jingly bed always reminds me of old Cohen. I suppose he scratched himself in it often enough. And he thinks father bought it from Lord Napier that I used to admire when I was a little girl because I told him, easy piano. Oh, I like my bed. God, here we are, as bad as ever after 16 years. How many houses were we in at all? Raymond Terrace and Ontario Terrace and Lombard Street and Holly Street. And he goes about whistling. Every time we're on the run again, his Huguenots or the frogs march, pretending to help the men with our four sticks of furniture. And then the City Arms Hotel, worse and worse, says Warden Daly. That charming place on the landing, always somebody inside praying and leaving all their stinks after them. Always knew who was in there last. Every time we were just getting on right, something happens or he puts his big foot in it. Toms and Hellies and Mr Cuffs and Drimmies. Either he's going to be run into prison over his old lottery tickets, that was to be all our salvations, or he goes and gives impudence. Well, have him coming home with the sack soon out of the Freeman, too, like the rest, on account of those sinner fain, or the Freemasons. Then we'll see if the little man he showed me, dribbling along in the wet all by himself round by Cody's Lane, will give him much consolation, that he says is so capable and sincerely Irish. He is indeed, judging by the sincerity of the trousers I saw in him. Wait, there's George's church bells. Wait, three quarters the hour. Wait, two o'clock. Well... That's a nice hour of the night for him to be coming home, at to anybody climbing down into the area. If anybody saw him, I'll knock him off that little habit tomorrow. First, I'll look at his shirt to see, or I'll see if he has that French letter still in his pocketbook. I suppose he thinks I don't know. Deceitful men. All their twenty pockets aren't enough for their lies. Then why should we tell them? Even if it's the truth, they don't believe you. 
then tucked up in bed like those babies in the aristocrat's masterpiece he brought me another time, as if we hadn't enough of that in real life without some old aristocrat, or whatever his name is, disgusting you more with those rotten pictures. Children with two heads and no legs, that's the kind of villainy they're always dreaming about. With not another thing in their empty heads, they ought to get slow poison, the half of them. Then tea and toast for him, buttered on both sides, and new laid eggs. I suppose I'm nothing anymore. When I wouldn't let him lick me in Holly Street one night. Man, man, tyrant as ever. For the one thing he slept on the floor half the night. Naked, the way the Jews used when somebody dies belonged to them. And wouldn't eat any breakfast or speak a word. Wanting to be petted, so I thought. I stood out enough for one time and let him. He does it all wrong too. Thinking only of his own pleasure. His tongue is too flat or I don't know what. He forgets that. We then, I don't, I'll make him do it again if he doesn't mind himself and lock him down to sleep in the coal cellar with the black beetles. I wonder, was it her Josie off her head with my cast-offs? He's such a born liar too, no. He'd never have the courage with a married woman. That's why he wants me and Boylan. Though as far as her Dennis, as she calls him, that forlorn-looking spectacle, you couldn't call him a husband. Yes, it's some little bitch he's got in with even when I was with him, with Millie at the college races, that hornblower with the child's bonnet on the top on his knob let us into the back way. He was throwing his sheep's eyes at those two, doing skirt duty up and down. I tried to wink at him first. No use, of course. And that's the way his money goes. This is the fruits of Mr Paddy Dignam. Yes, they were all in great style at the grand funeral in the paper Boylan bought in. If they saw a real officer's funeral, that'd be something. Reversed arms, muffled drums, the poor horse walking behind in black L. Bloom, and Tom Kernan, that drunken little barrelly man that bit his tongue off falling down the men's WC, drunk in some place or other, and Martin Cunningham, and the two Daedalus's, and Fanny McCoy's husband, white-headed cabbage, skinny thing with a turn in her eye, trying to sing my songs. She'd want to be born all over again and her old green dress with the low neck, as she can't attract them any other way. Like dabbling on a rainy day, I see it all now, plainly. And they call that friendship killing. And then burying one another. And they all with their wives and families at home, more especially Jack Power. Keeping that barmaid, he does. Of course, his wife is always sick, or going to be sick, or just getting better of it. And he's a good-looking man. Still, though, he's getting a bit grey over the years. They're a nice lot. All of them, well, they're not going to get my husband again into their clutches if I can help it. Making fun of him. Then behind his back. I know well when he goes on with his idiotics because he has sense enough not to squander every penny piece he earns down their gullets and looks after his wife and family good for nothings. Poor Paddy Dignam. All the same. I'm sorry in a way for him. What are his wife and five children going to do unless he was insured? Comical little teetotum always stuck up in some pub corner. And her or her son waiting, Bill Bailey, won't you please come home? Her widow's weeds won't improve her appearance. They're awfully becoming, though, if you're good looking. What men wasn't? He, yes, he was at the Glencree dinner and Ben Dollard bass barrel tone. The night he borrowed the swallowtail to sing out of in Holly Street, squeezed and squashed into them and grinning all over his big dolly face like a well-whipped child's body. Didn't he look a balmy ballock? Sure enough, that must have been a spectacle on the stage. Imagine paying five shillings in the preserved seats for that to see him and Simon Daedalus too. He was always turning up half screwed, singing the second verse first. The old love is the new was one of his so sweetly sang the maiden on the hawthorn 
Bow. He was always on for flirtifying too when I sang Maritana with him at Freddie Mayer's private opera. He had a delicious, glorious voice. Phoebe, dearest, goodbye, sweetheart. He always sang it. Not like Bartel Darcy, sweetheart, goodbye. Of course, he had the gift of the voice, so there was no art in it. All over you like a warm shower bath. Oh, Maritana, wildwood flower. We sang splendidly, though it was a bit too high for my register. Even transposed. And he was married at the time to May Golding. But then he'd say or do something to knock the good out of it. He's a widower now. I wonder what sort is his son. He says he's an author and going to be a university professor of Italian and I'm to take lessons. What is he driving at now? Showing him my photo. It's not good of me. I ought to have got it taken in drapery. That never looks out of fashion. Still, I look young in it. Wonder he didn't make him a present of it altogether. And me too, after all, why not? I saw him driving down to the Kingsbridge station with his father and mother. I was in mourning. That's 11 years ago now, yes. He'd be 11. Though what was the good in going into mourning for what was neither one thing nor the other? Of course, he insisted he'd go into mourning for the cat. I suppose he's a man now. By this time he was an innocent boy then and a darling little fellow in his Lord Fauntleroy suit and curly hair like a prince on the stage when I saw him at Matt Dillon's. He liked me too, I remember. They all do wait by God, yes, wait, yes. <laughs> 